Welcome to the podcast from Church of the Nazarene. Please subscribe to this podcast for the latest updates and new episodes. And you can also search for the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, and Google Podcasts. We also invite you to join us each Sunday morning at 9 on our YouTube channel or Facebook Live. You can also join us in person at 9 or 1030 for our English services or 1145 for our Spanish service. We also invite you to join Celebrate Recovery every Monday night at 630. Thanks for listening. Well, it's good to be with you today, and I'm excited to dive into the Word. Um, your name matters today. It matters to me, and it matters to the Lord. I want you to imagine with me uh, this scene. I want you to imagine being released from prison and choosing to stay. Imagine that, right? How ridiculous. that! Like you've done your time, you served your sentence, the day comes, and you're free. Nah, I think I'm going to stay a little bit longer. That's actually what happened to a man named Rodney Valentine. He was living uh, near Greensboro, North Carolina, and uh, he was 37 years old, and the day came for him to be released, and he refused to leave. So they actually had to make him stay for a while because then he was trespassing, right? How ridiculous is that? Imagine that. Uh, I'm no longer a prisoner, but, but I'm not going to leave. I refuse to leave. Well, the truth is, I, I actually think that scene, if you can imagine it with me this morning, describes a lot of believers, it may even describe you today, that you have been set free, but you're choosing to stay in prison. Let me share with you a little bit more of what I mean. Romans 7, we're going to be all throughout Romans 6, 7, and 8 today. So if you have your copy of scripture, it would be a great day for you to open it up with me uh, because we're going to cover some ground today in our series, What We Believe. Uh, our Version Bible app is there. And again, it's a great week to activate that because there's some extra notes and things. But this is what Paul says in Romans 7, verse 15. L- listen to these words. Th- he says this, I do not understand what I do. For what I want to do, I, I don't do. But what I hate, I do. And if I do what I do not want to do, I agree the law is good, As it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but it's sin living in me. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me. That's my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do. But the evil that I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. I wonder, as I read those words, if you can relate to that. Have you ever felt like that before? I have. The good that I want to do, oh, I'm not doing it. Instead, why am I doing the things that I don't want to do? That's kind of what Paul is saying, and he's describing this tension between, you know, being drawn by by the sin, sinful nature within us. And I believe he's describing a tension that many of us feel. Maybe you feel that today. Like, that's real. As you read that, you're like, yeah, welcome to my week. Welcome to my life. But Paul then, skip down to verse 24, he asks a really good question. He's kind of exasperated maybe, but but this is the question. He, He says, what a wretched man I am. This is verse 24. What a wretched man I am. In response to this tension that he feels, in response to doing the things he doesn't want to do. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? And sadly, there are many believers 
who stop reading after Romans 7, verse 24. They read everything I just read, and they're tracking with that. Oh, yeah, that battle, that tension. Yeah, verse 24, who can rescue me? But then they stop. They stop reading. In fact, they build a whole theology around this. But but the end of, of Paul's words in verse 24 is not the end of the story. It's not. It's not, I'm forever losing this wrestling match with sin. I can never win. No one can help me the end. That's not the end of the story, and it's not the end of what Paul says, is it? Because the truth is, if you buy into that lie, that I'm just stuck in this eternal, or maybe not eternal, but here on this earth, this forever wrestling match with sin, where sin is so great and I can never overcome it. Who can possibly help me? If that's where your story ends, then you're like Rodney, set free from prison, released from prison, but you're choosing to stay, because that's not the end of the story. And it's not the end of Paul's final words. Look, verse 25, it's right there, the very next verse. He asks the question in verse 24, what a wretched man I am, who will rescue me? And then he answers the question. Verse 25, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. We don't have to stop at the question because Paul gives us the answer to the question. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me? Oh, thanks be to God. (laughs) Thanks be to God. He delivers me through Jesus. Because of Jesus, there's hope. Sin does not have the final word. And maybe you would agree and say, yes, 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 I get it. Eternally, one day, one day, you know, in heaven, yes, sin does not have the final word. But the truth of what Paul is saying is not just a one day in the future kind of deliverance. It's a here and now deliverance. And if you dive in a little bit deeper to Paul's words, I think you're going to see that with me today. We are in our series of what we believe. And here's what we're doing uh, throughout this month is we're articulating some things about what we believe here at the Church of Nazarene. Um, rooted in God's word. And specifically today, we're, we're highlighting what we would call one of the distinctives of the church of Nazarene, something that makes us, our theology, a little bit different. And so today, as I share this with you, this may be something that you've heard us preach on often here, but it may be something relatively new for you. But I'm gonna highlight today this distinctive. See, there are churches today and believers that believe that you are bound to sin every day. You're bound to. Like Paul says in Romans 7, right? Oh, the things I don't want to do, that's what I do. And, and for many believers, that, that kind of defines their reality of how they feel about their life and their journey with Christ. It, it, sin is too strong. It's, every day it's going to be a battle. And, and sin is so great until I reach heaven one day. It's a lifetime prison sentence here on earth because it's sin. And it's hard. It's too hard. And if you only read those for a few verses in Romans 7, you would... Maybe understand that to be true. You might even believe that. You might even say, yeah, Paul said it. But if you step back and get a a bigger picture of, of not even just the scripture, if you look at a big picture of the scripture, you'll see it. But even just right here in Romans, if you take a step back, I think you'll see there's a lot more happening here. See, here's what we believe. We believe that this life in Christ is not just about survival, It's not just about put my head down and get through until one glorious day. And look, I'm excited about a glorious day when we get to be with Jesus face to face. But but 
we, we believe that the gospel teaches Jesus said, I've come to give you life to the full here and now, not just one day. So we believe this life is not just about survival. And we believe that through the power of Jesus, God can purify your heart from sin. What do we call this? We call this entire sanctification. It's a big word. Two words, I know. But theological word, but hang with me, right? Because today we're going to unpack this. And I'm going to help you see, not that this is just some idea that we have in the church in Nazarene, but it's very, very rooted in the scripture and the gospel of who Jesus is was and what he did and the promise that we can have. All right, so look, we started in Romans 7, okay? We're not going to read all of Romans 7 today, but, but I want to flip one chapter earlier to Romans 6 because I want you to see that this tension that Paul is dealing with in Romans 7 is addressed in Romans 6, in Romans 7, and Romans 8. So I would highly recommend you spend some time on your own going through this, but we're going to look. So look at the beginning of Romans 6. We actually just read some of these words as we celebrated baptism, but listen, this is the same guy, right, Paul, writing to the same church one chapter earlier, and listen to what he says. What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? I love when he answers his own question, right? By no means. By no means. We are those who have died. Listen to this language he's using here. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? That's not the language of somebody that's in a, a daily battle and being overwhelmed, a battle that he can't win with sin, is it? He's saying we have died to sin. We can't live in that any longer. Or don't you know, verse 3, that all of us, we just, we just celebrated baptism, right? All of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may have new life. So this, this illustration of baptism or this example of baptism, it is a symbol of what's happening in us, right? We are dead to sin because of what Christ Jesus has done for us, because of what's available to us through Christ, and now there's new life. Let's go down a, a, a little bit further to verse 11. In the same way, count yourselves, this is some strong language he's using, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, because of that, don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you'll obey its evil desires. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life. Offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness, for sin shall no longer be your master because you are not under the law, you are under grace. This is not the language. This is not a description of somebody who believes that he's destined to sin every day in word, thought, and deed, is it? He's saying things like we're dead to sin. Sin is no longer our master. There is new life. Something is happening that Paul's describing here that far outweighs this visual of an overwhelming battle with sin that, that I as a believer in Christ can just never Conquer until this side of eternity. Dead to sin. Sin no longer is your master, he says. This is powerful and thought-provoking language. It reminds me, what, what does Paul say? Who will rescue me from this body that's subject to death? Thanks be to God. One more place. It's a lot of scripture today. But now, 
So what did we do? We started in chapter 7, and we explained kind of the tension, the problem that I think we all feel. We all feel times and moments in our lives where sin is it's hard. The grip of sin is real. But we unpacked right there in chapter 7. Paul addresses that. Before that, in chapter 6, he addresses it. And now look at chapter 8. Because this, the truth is bookended. <laughs> I don't think that's a real word, but it is. Uh, right here, look at chapter 8. Again, as Paul has finished describing this, this battle, thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus. Look right there at, at chapter 8, verse 1 of Romans. Therefore, so again, because of all this that he said in chapter 6 and chapter 7, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit that gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Set you free. There's not a battle here anymore. It's not a daily struggle. The door's been unlocked. Deliverance and freedom is available. It's the idea of entire sanctification. Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. So he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us, who do not live according to the flesh of the law, but according to the Spirit. So, in summary, uh, next slide for me. I want you to see, this is not an exhaustive look at the book of Romans. We don't have time for that today. But I want you to see just some snapshots in these three chapters of Scripture. There's a lot more there. But what have we covered? What are, what are some of the things that Paul is saying about this battle? Well, Romans 6.2, he says we've died to sin. Romans 6.14, he says sin's not our master anymore. Romans 7.25, we're rescued from sin and death. Romans 8.2, we're set free from sin. And again, Romans 8 verse 4, we no longer live according to sin any longer. And I promise you, Paul goes on and on and on. The prison doors really are flung wide open. In the Church of the Nazarene, we articulate the doctrine uh, of entire sanctification this way. In fact, um, I, I'm not going to quote uh, the manual of the Church of the Nazarene often, but I want you to just, this is a very brief, uh, simple, I think, terminology, definition of what entire sanctification is. This is what we believe, that entire sanctification is the work of God. That's important because we're not talking about what we do here. This is not something that we do. <laughs> I, I'm powerful. I overcome No, no, no. This is, this is the work of God. But what is it, the work of God, which transforms believers into the likeness of Christ? Do you know that God calls believers to be like him and not like the world? We're called to be salt. We're called to be light. We are called to be different than the world around us. In fact, we articulate our mission here at Church of Nazarene, our church, that we are transformed by God to bring hope to others through Christ. Have you ever thought about the first word of our mission statement, transformed? We're called to be a transformed people. Not because of us, what we can do, let's act different. No, because of what God is doing in us. It transforms us. Something's happening in us. We're transformed because of what God has done. And we believe God wants to transform us to be like him. When I was 17 years old, when I was 17 years old, I made that decision. I grew up in, in, in the church of Nazarene, in this denomination, in this theology, and I, I knew Jesus I grew up in the church. I even desired to be like him. I, I won't tell you exactly how old I am, but I grew up in this, some of you that are a little bit older will remember, this what would Jesus do phenomenon. 
WWJD. Um, you had like a bracelet or the keychain or the tattoo. I don't know what you had. But it was this idea, and it's not all bad, right? This idea of, I want to be like Jesus. What would Jesus do? And so I grew up as a teenager. That was kind of a statement we used often as, uh, to kind of help us think. We want to think like Jesus. We want to be like Jesus. But the truth is, the problem is, I couldn't be like Jesus. I was a 17-year-old teenage boy. I had no idea how to be like Jesus, no matter how many bracelets I bought, right? On my own, I couldn't be like Jesus. Remember what Jesus said? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. I couldn't do that. Not in the way Jesus called me to. And it was frustrating. I remember hearing about this idea of entire sanctification as a 17-year-old and God's sanctifying work. I remember hearing it explained to me and then I understood God wasn't inviting me to do something that was for my frustration. Oh, be like me. Grow like Christ. Be like Christ. That's not something I can do. Why would God call me to do something that I can't do? That sounds, sounds cruel. I like to think of it like this. As a 17-year-old, I had a, had a relationship with Christ. And he was my savior. But, but really... As, as best as I could understand, even as a 17-year-old, I was still kind of in charge of my life. What, what do I mean by that? Uh, Jesus came to be Savior, and that's true. And we celebrate that, and we sing about that often. And we're going to celebrate Christmas here in a few weeks. I hope you're going to join us. It's going to be a great season of Advent, the arrival of our Savior. That's why Jesus came to be our Savior. And I love that. But there's, there's another title that we read throughout Scripture and it's not just Jesus as Savior, but it's Jesus as Lord. Have you ever thought about the difference? Jesus is Savior, but, but Jesus is Lord. And this is how I would describe it. It's like driving a car. Now, some of you in the room, uh, don't look at anybody when I say this. Some of you, if you're in the car, you have to be driving the car. You know who you are, right? You would rather drive yourself they may be a passenger with somebody else driving. I don't know if it's a control thing. I don't know if you just think you're a better driver. Again, do not look around. It will get you in trouble right now. But you know who you are. You can't, you can't sit anywhere else than in the driver's seat because if you're in the car, you're going to be driving. And the best way that I can describe it to you as a 17-year-old who loved Jesus is that I had invited Jesus to be my Savior, to forgive me of my sins, but I was still driving the car. He was sitting shotgun or in the back seat napping or whatever. Oh, Jesus, come on. Let's go for a ride. You can be my co-pilot. That bumper sticker, Jesus is my co-pilot. It's actually a terrible illustration, right? Because what does that mean? It means I'm still driving. And the reality is as a 17-year-old, I couldn't be like Jesus because I was still driving the car. I was still in control. I was still Lord of my life. He was my Savior. He's in the car with me, praise the Lord but I was still calling the shots. It was still about me and what I wanted to do. And, my, and that's not all, my dreams aren't all bad. My desires aren't all bad, but ultimately, I was trying to be Lord of my own life. So I came to this crisis moment where I realized I, I can't live a godly life on my own. I can't be like, like Christ. I can't even live out this, this call to love him with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength and love. I can't do that on my own. I can't do that while I'm driving the car. I was praying about what to do with my life. What college do I go to? These big decisions. And the truth is, if I am still Lord of my life, it's impossible for me to be like Christ. 
So I made the decision. I made the decision to get out of the driver's seat of my life and say, yeah, Jesus, you, you can be my savior, but you can be Lord. You can drive. You can be in charge. I want your dreams for my life. I want your desires for my life. I want your best for my life. I, I'm not going to try to just allow you to be my savior, but me be Lord anymore. And that's one of the best illustrations I can give, one of the best explanations I can give of the doctrine of entire sanctification. A moment where we declare, Jesus, you're not just my savior, but I want you to be Lord of my life. I want you to be in charge. I surrender to your lordship. And in that moment, did I totally understand everything that meant? Of course not. Of course not. Every day for the rest of my life, I will grow in that understanding of what it means for him to be Lord of my life. I, I thought I knew what trusting the Lord meant as a 17-year-old. Let me tell you, I know a lot more about that today, don't I? He is still transforming me. What does Paul say in Philippians 1? Being confident of this, he who began the good work in you will carry it to completion. So this idea of sanctification is not like a one and done, like in that moment, heaven opened up and I am now. No, no, no. But in that moment, I allowed him to be Lord and I began the journey to grow in grace day by day by day. But, but there's freedom in that. I don't have to be Lord of my life anymore. He can be Lord. He can lead. See, the Lord... This is what we believe. The Lord can sanctify our hearts in a moment. In a moment, he can come. When we say, I'll be Lord of my life, and he can come and purify our hearts, but then he, he continues to refine us day by day and moment by moment. If you're a parent, you understand this, right? Your child is your child when she's three. She's your child when she's 13. She's still your child when she's 33, right? It's the work of sanctification. His children, God's children, are being refined and growing as we allow him to be Lord of our lives. But wait, you say, isn't it true that I do sin every day? Some of you are thinking that. Like, wait a second. I know what Paul says, but isn't it true that every single day, all, all of us, right? I want to address that question directly because it's a really good one. God's word um, describes sin in two different ways. And it, it is an important distinction as we talk about theology, really. First is the acts of sin. The acts of sin. What does that mean? The acts of sin are the, the, the wrong things we've done, the choices we've made. We were tempted and we gave in to temptation. That's sin. That's the acts of sin. But Paul, we already heard it described here, and it's described throughout Scripture. There's another, another way that sin is described, and it's, it's our sin nature. And that's different. See, our sin nature, that points all the way back to Genesis where Adam and Eve disobeyed the Lord and now, and now sin enters into the world, but that's our corrupted nature. As the sin entered into the world, so our nature was now bent towards sin, bent towards selfishness. We are born with a sinful nature. And that's not the acts of sin that we've done, but really our, our nature of sin. And so the truth is, when Jesus came to be Savior, he came to forgive me of my acts of sin. When, when, when I pray and say, Jesus, forgive me of all the things that I've done, all the times. And, and, and he's gracious and loving and merciful, and he forgives us of our sin. He's my Savior. But, but there's still this nature isn't that what Paul's describing in Romans 7? The things I don't want to do, I keep doing? Isn't that the nature of sin at work? For many believers, they settle for Jesus as Savior, and that's beautiful and good, but, but they don't allow him to be Lord. They don't allow him to do a deeper work. 
of what Scripture calls purifying our hearts. When the Church of the Nazarene was founded, part of that reason was, it was a reaction against that idea, that, that our life is just about survival in this battle of sin. It's not what our founding leaders thought. It's not what John Wesley thought. And really, most importantly, it's not the full gospel that we read, even in just Paul's words in these three chapters of Romans. When we read Romans 6, 7, and 8, we get a much bigger picture. And Paul would write later to the church in Thessalonica, he would say these words, May God himself, the God of peace, sanctify you through and through. Think about that. He's describing the work of God purifying, sanctifying through and through. This is what he says in 1 Thessalonians 5, 23 and 24. May your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus. And then this is the good news. Look at verse 24. The one who calls you is faithful. He will do it. Some of us in the room right now are saying, wait, wait. How is this really possible? That God can purify my heart from this overwhelming desire of sin that feels like it's bad, that God can give me a new heart, that I can, I can allow him to be Lord and he can come in and purify my heart. How is that? I, I, it feels overwhelming to us, but the good news of Scripture is he will do it. We have to trust and believe that he can do that work. It is too much for you. It is too overwhelming for you. It is really beyond what you and I can comprehend in our human abilities. But the promise is, Paul says it here, the God of peace will sanctify you through and through. He will do it. He is faithful. You mean, some of you are saying, wait, wait, wait. You mean Nazarenes think they're perfect, right? They're holy. They never sin again. I love this quote uh, from, again, from our manual. It describes it this way. It says, there's a marked distinction between a pure heart and a mature character. When I was 17 years old, I, I, I prayed, and I believe God purified my heart. And I've spent the rest of my life with him refining and maturing my character. As a 17-year-old, I had a lot more work to do, didn't I? But I grow in grace. I journey with him. I daily learn what it means for him to be Lord of my life. Haley's going to come and help us uh, here on the stage. But as she does, I want you to think of your home today, where you live. Your house, your apartment, condo, wherever it is that you live. What's the room in the house uh, that you spend the most time in? What's the room in the house uh, that you spend the least time in? What, uh, maybe in your home today, there's that one closet and it's a mess. And you don't ever open that door because if your stuff just spills out or it's where you put the things that you don't know what to do with. And one day I'll get to that closet, right? I, I don't know. Maybe there's a, a guest bedroom. And I know some of you, the guest bedroom is codenamed for like, it's just the catch-all. The treadmill's in there that's collecting dust for the last 20 years. You know what that is, right? It's that place where you just don't go in there. I don't know what that is in, in, your, in your life. Maybe for some of you, it's the attic. You only go up there to get Christmas decorations out and everything else. You have no idea what's up there and you don't want to know. It's... It's a little scary. I want you to think of that uh, today as an illustration of your life in your relationship today with, with Jesus. I want you to think about all the things in Scripture, all the promises that we have. We've read them today, but there's so many more of what Jesus came to do, the full work to be Savior and Lord of your life. I want you to imagine your home, and then I want you to imagine right now your relationship with Jesus. And maybe for some of us, our relationship with Jesus is kind of like 
oh, Jesus, you can come hang out in the living room. You can come eat at the kitchen. we got this great open concept now with an island. It's great. Come on. But there's that one closet or the garage, because that's a mess, or the attic. Or, there's that one place in your house where you're not going to really want Jesus to go. There's some mess in there you don't want him to see. Well, I, I know how that is when guests come. It's like, what do you throw stuff under the bed or you shut it in the rooms and you close those doors? Don't let anybody go in there. And I wonder today if that describes your relationship with Jesus. He's a part of your life. Maybe you've, you've allowed him to be savior. Man, praise the Lord for that. But there's still some areas of your home, of your heart, where he's not welcome. Maybe you don't think of it intentionally like that, but there's, there's some habits, some behaviors, some attitudes. The spare room, the attic, the closet, where, where you got that locked and Jesus is welcome everywhere, but not there. Don't go there, Jesus. What would it mean today for you? And I get what I've described to you. Maybe it sounds impossible because it is in your own strength. It is impossible. You and I, in our own strength, we can never overcome sin. But what if, it, what if it's possible? What if, what if God's word is true today? That Jesus came to set you free from your acts of sin, to forgive you of that, but to set you free from a nature that's turned towards sin, from a heart that's darkened by sin, and he wants to purify your heart today. And in doing that, you're saying, Jesus, you can have it all. There's nothing in my life that's held back from you. Maybe for you, it's been your career plan and everything else, God, you can have, but not that. Whatever it is today in your life, you would not hold it back anymore and say, okay, Jesus, you can be my savior, but today I'm ready. I'm ready for you to be Lord of my life. Maybe you've been walking with the Lord for years and years and years, but, but your heart today is still bent towards self. It's still bent towards selfishness. And today, by faith, you can pray and say, God, I want, I want you to purify my heart. Maybe you've made that decision before. Pastor Kerry uh, used to always say, but sometimes we leak. I can't use the twangy accent that he has. but So maybe today you just say, all right, Lord, I, I, I prayed that before, but you know, as I sit here in 2022 and I look at my life, I'm not sure that I'm really allowing you to be Lord today. So would you come and do a, a new work? A new work. I'm going to invite you. Would you just bow your heads for a minute? I, in the best I can in 30 minutes, have tried to unpack really deep theological concepts that, man, I, I pray through God's word that you see are true. But really, none of that, none of what I've said truly matters if you don't have an opportunity to respond to what the Lord would want to do in your life today. Would you say today that, that you're, you're in the driver's seat? Maybe uh, you saw Jesus on the side of the road, you let him get in, he's going for a ride with you, but, but you're still calling the shots of your life. Well, I promise you, I promise you, the spiritual journey will be one of frustration if you're still trying to be Lord of your life. Today, would you in faith say, okay, Jesus, you're driving, <laughs> you're leading. I've seen the fruit of what it means for me to be in control. I don't want that any longer. I want to receive the full promise 
of your word and what Jesus came to do, not just to save me from my acts of sin, but to purify my heart. I want to be like you, Jesus. I want to talk like you do. I want to love the way that you do. I want to see the people around me through your eyes. I want your heart, not that's bent towards me and what I need all the time, but but that's desperate for you, for the things that you have for me. I'm going to pray, and um, in a minute, I'm going to invite you today. Some of us are going to respond to the message. I believe there's, there's some in here, maybe you're brand new, you've never heard the message of sanctification ever. Maybe you've been a part of this church a long time, but the Lord's speaking today, and he's challenging you to respond in obedience. I'm, I'm going to pray, and we're not going to sing. We're, not gonna, we're just going to spend a few minutes being quiet, so just be comfortable right here where we are. Be comfortable bowing your head. You can turn your chair into an altar, whatever you need to do, but we're just going to pause long enough because I believe God is speaking. And in just a moment, I'm going to continue to pray. And as I do that, some of us in the room today, we may want to respond. And so let me just give you an invitation. Today, you, you came in this morning and were given a name tag. Some of you grumbled about it. I heard you. But one of the greatest analogies I can see of entire sanctification is placing yourself on God's altar. So at the front of our church, we have altars and there's nothing magical or mystical about them, but they're just a place of decision. They're a place that reminds us commitment, of sacrifice, of surrender. And so today, I'm gonna pray in just a minute. And as I pray today, if you want to respond to God's voice, his work, his invitation to be Lord of your life, I'm going to invite you. You don't have to do this, but I'm going to invite you to take your name and place it on the altar. Now, look, does that say, no, that doesn't do anything if our hearts aren't in it. But sometimes, sometimes when we talk about the battle of sin within us, It requires a response. It requires a prayer that's real, but it requires obedience. And so today, I I just, there's some of us in the room, we gotta be obedient. And so I wanna invite you, if you didn't get a name tag, there's some by the cross, so you're not excluded from this. But only come if the Lord's speaking to you today. Don't worry about anybody else. Everybody, heads bowed and eyes closed. There's no song. There's no dramatic push for you to come. I'm just gonna pray. And if as I pray, you sense God speaking to you, come. Place your name on the altar today in faith. Place your name there as a declaration. You are Lord of my life today, Jesus. Come into every place in my home. I'm going to pray. And if that's you today, don't, don't, don't hesitate. You come. You come. Jesus, we pray today and we thank you for the truth that you came to be our savior. And I pray today that there would be no one in the sound of my voice that would not know that you can save them from any any sin, any acts of sin that they've ever done, Lord. That they they can be saved from sin today because of what you've done. And we thank you, Jesus, that you came to be savior. But I believe today there's a deeper work that you desire for some of us in the room. And it's not just that you could be our savior. 
but you could be Lord of our lives. That we could surrender. We could live such a surrendered life that we don't battle for control anymore, but we say, Lord, Lord Jesus, you lead. There's some of us in this room, God, we don't know how to lead our lives anymore. We've been trying for so long. And it's frustrating. And it's hard and it's painful. And the truth is, we live in a broken world. We live in a world where sin is rampant around us. And without you leading and guiding our lives, without you purifying our hearts, God, we can't ever overcome. We can't ever have victory. But you came. You made a way for us to have victory today. I pray right now for the person who needs joy today. They need hope today. They need victory today. And it's possible. It's possible. Not because of what we do, because of what you have done and want to do and want to keep doing. I pray for the one who has declared that before, but their life has gotten way more comfortable and way more about them. Maybe the fear of the world in which we're living, the fear of uncertainty of the future has caused them to get into the driver's seat of the car. I pray for that person today that their renewed commitment would be saying, no, 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 I refuse to only let you be saved. I want you to be Lord of my life, God. We pray in faith, God. We're praying into things that we can't do on our own, but we believe in faith that this is possible. I pray for the one who doubts today, God. I understand that. I resonate with that doubt. Today, I pray that they would trust you enough to believe there's more. There's more for them. They don't have to settle for a life of battling sin any longer. There's more, God, for them. We praise you, God, for victory. We praise you that you, even now you're giving us a new heart. You're purifying our hearts today in faith. We thank you, God, for the promises. They're not just true one day, they're true today. And as we are praying, and as we've responded, Lord, we believe you're here. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Today, if you're praying along with me, if you've responded in any way, would you just close? Would you just thank you, Jesus? Think about what he's done for us. Think about the hope that's available to us. Think about the truth that we've just read and declared that's possible for us. Thank you, Jesus. You made a way. Thank you, Jesus that you wanna be Lord of my life, that you think my life is worth leading, that you think my, my life can be something beautiful in your kingdom. God, thank you, Jesus, that you don't just tolerate me, you love me, and you wanna purify my heart, and you wanna redeem my life for your glory and your purpose. That's far greater than anything that I could ask or think or imagine. Thank you, Jesus. Is there anybody in the room today you just wanna say that out loud? Thank you, Jesus. There's some of us today. Yes, thank you, Jesus. We love you. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus.
Thank you so much for listening today. Go ahead and subscribe to our channel for updates and new episodes. And if you have any questions about our church or ministries, go ahead and email us at info at cotnaz.org.